0: WDBM East Lansing.
1: This is East Lansing Insider, brought to you by ELI on Impact 89 FM. In this show, we break down all of the news and happenings in the East Lansing community. And now, today's East Lansing Insider.
2: Welcome to East Lansing Insider, brought to you by East Lansing Info. This is the second episode of our series, brought to you by Impact Radio. My name is Emily Joan Elliott, and I'm the managing editor for East Lansing Info. And today I have with us Alice Drager, Eli's founder... Publisher and executive director. So, Alice, why don't you introduce yourself?
0: Thanks, Emily. Yeah, so I do a bunch of different roles at Eli just like you do. And if I sound a little tired, it's because uh, we're recording the morning after City Council, and City Council went four hours. And of course, after that, they get to go to bed, but we stay up and do reporting and editing. So, I was up pretty late with our City Desk reporter, Andrew Graham, working on a story we're going to be talking about today.
2: Great. Thanks for that, Alice. So why don't we segue into discussing Andrew's story, which was published this morning. Uh, The story was about Ordinance 1500, which passed last night. Can you tell us a little bit about that ordinance?
0: Sure. So this actually came out of a movement at ASMSU, which is the undergraduate student uh, government at Michigan State University. And they've been concerned for a long time with this situation where the way that the rental leasing market works here is that students are to sign leases very early in the system. So they're typically signing leases in October, the year before the academic year of the lease they're actually planning to start. So they're signing, for example, leases in October that will not start till the next August. And the concerns about those are multiple, um, including having to put down a lot of money with a lot of uncertainty and also just feeling like they're ending up in roommate situations with people who they would not have chosen had they had more time or with people they don't know well enough. The landlords have pushed back on this, arguing that there's a lot of uncertainty in the situation right now and now is not a good time to be regulating when landlords can uh, basically enter into leases with new tenants because of the pandemic having really upheaved the rental market here. Also, MSU moving to require sophomores to live on campus, which is going to change the market. Um, and then, in addition to that, as Eli has been reporting, the flooding of the student rental housing market in our area with new development and all of those things, the landlords argue are making the market uncertain enough and changeable enough that now it's not the time to be doing this kind of change. But it did pass on a three to two vote on Tuesday night. Uh, the people voting for it were Mayor Aaron Stevens, Mayor Pro Tem Jesse Gregg, and Councilmember Dana Watson. And the two voting against it were uh, Ron Bacon and Lisa Babcock. And if folks want to read their reasoning, they can check out
2: that article at Eli. Great. Well, thank you for sharing that with us, Alice. Um, you mentioned that there's a lot of uncertainty in the market right now and that Um, now sophomores will be required to live on campus. And I know one thing you noted from the meeting last night when we were talking earlier today was a lot of students who called in, talked about the uncertainty of starting their freshman year and then trying to scramble to find roommates to live off campus their sophomore year. So finding people they knew maybe for a handful of weeks. Do you think or does anyone involved in this think that sophomores living on campus will remove some of that uncertainty on the student end?
0: I think they do. But the students, of course, didn't talk a lot about that change. The landlords were the one talking about that change. Um, What the students did contribute to the discussion last night was a lot of personal experiences about their situations where they ended up in situations where they felt that they were in either dangerous or costly or uncertain situations when they they felt they shouldn't be in that situation. So we can give a listen now to Cameron Lockery, and I hope I'm saying that person's name right because it didn't get transcribed in the system, um, talking here about LGBTQ students and how they experience the pressure to sign up leases, but talking more generally about the experience of students. So let's give a listen to that.
3: I'm a chemical engineering and physiology double major. And I represent the Alliance of Queer and Allied Students and TransAction, two queer and trans students groups at Michigan State University. Ordinance 1500 affects each and every one of my constituents. There are so many factors of student life that contribute to anxiety around leasing that property managers take advantage of. And being a member of the LGBTQ plus community only adds to those anxieties. Queer and trans students are often coming from unwelcoming and unloving homes, making us desperate to find anywhere to live that isn't back home. Many queer and trans students don't have financial support from their families and are more likely to commit to a cheap leasing deal too early to feel sure sure about their living situation or sign a predatory lease that seems advantageous on the surface. While housing discrimination based on sexual identity, gender identity, and gender expression is prohibited in Lansing and East Lansing, It is not prohibited federally. Out-of-state students coming from areas where housing discrimination based on LGBTQ status is legal often don't know they're protected. And that fear of being denied a leasing contract or even removed from housing is so, so easily taken advantage of. Pushing back the leasing season to January means queer and trans students will have enough time to find a place that truly suits them, to sign a lease that fits their budget without exploiting them, to learn their rights, to ensure their choice of roommates or neighbors won't make them feel unsafe, and to feel secure in their choice of home. On a more personal note, it is extremely difficult to put into words the feeling of fear that comes with moving into a new place, a new complex, a new dorm room, and not knowing whether or not you will be safe there, not knowing whether or not those roommates that you don't know will treat you fairly whether or not they'll commit violence against you. It's terrifying in a truly, truly deep way. And I had that situation moving from Virginia to East Lansing when I first joined in the dorm rooms. Um, I was lucky enough to continue with my roommates and to not join an apartment um, with individuals I don't know, but I have seen it happen to almost every other person I have met (laughs) in East Lansing. They have entered into a roommate situation very early with someone that they aren't necessarily sure that they want to live with.
0: So there we heard a student talking about her own experiences and the experiences of other people she knows and how she's ending up, they are ending up feeling that they're in a situation where they're being pressured unreasonably. And so that's why they pushed to have Ordens 1500. Um, to change when the landlords have the right to lease to new tenants and show apartments.
2: Right. I noticed that in the public comments from the students last night, the use of the word predatory showed up multiple times. Can you explain the context in which they were describing the process as predatory?
0: Yeah, they felt that the landlords are coming to them right after they've started their leases and saying, if you don't sign up right now, I'm going to give away your place to somebody else. Um, the use of that language was strong, and Aaron Stevens, as mayor, kind of backed away for, from it and tried to frame it a different way. Stevens was trying to say, it's not that the landlords are doing anything bad, it's that the market is set up wrong. And so he was trying to pull back from that, um, trying not to blame the landlords for the situation. But there was definitely a lot of tension on this, and no doubt the tension showed up in that three to two vote, which was unusual. This is
2: not a council that's had a lot of split votes. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, So... Maybe this is a time to segue into discussing the landlord perspective from last night. Can you give us a bit of information about that?
0: For sure. So the landlord perspective is, as I mentioned earlier, that so many things are changing. And one of the ways that the that Stevens in particular, who's really led this law was trying to um, throw help to the landlords was to address the worry that the landlords had that if this passes in East Lansing, it gives a competitive advantage to landlords just over the border. And The way that East Lansing is set up, of course, is there's a lot of student housing that's not within the city of East Lansing. There's a lot of student housing in Meridian Township, just across Hagedorn Road. A lot of student housing being built now and occupied um, in Lansing. And then in addition to that, there's Bath, there's Lansing Township, and of course there's also MSU. So MSU pressures students fairly early to sign on. So one of the people we heard from last night among the landlords who called in was Matt Hagen. And he talked about what was called he's calling the exit ramp this thing that stevens built in that basically says that if the city of lansing's government and meridian township's government don't both pass similar legislation by august 10th of this year that the east lansing legislation will simply be canceled and never go into effect and so what that means is the city of east lansing's ordinance 1500 doesn't take effect unless the city of Lansing and Meridian Township both pass similar legislation which I'll be frank seems very unlikely it's summertime those governments are busy I have a hard time believing they're going to prioritize this so although the ASMSU students felt that they had achieved a big victory I'm not sure they did because of this thing that Stevens put in there that basically will cancel this law on August 10th if those other governments don't come into line so let's give a listen to what Matt Hagan who's a landlord had to say
4: calling in to speak about Ordinance 1500. I have uh, briefly read the revised ordinance with the extra ramp, I guess is what we're calling it. Apologize, people already spoken about this. I'm just recently getting on the call. But uh, don't feel at this point that that revision is quite adequate. It doesn't uh, include Michigan State, which is obviously the biggest player around. Also, Bath and Lansing Township are not uh, added on there. So I think... We need to take some time and uh, add to that exit ramp, potentially, and only consider this if they are part of the discussion. Uh, Also, really feel that this ordinance is gonna make it more confusing for the students, create more stress for them. There'll be houses where the lease ends in July. There'll be houses where leases end in May. There'll be houses at lease in the end early August, some late August. So it's just going to add a lot of confusion for them going through the rental process. Why can't I rent this house? Why can't I rent this house? Um, it's just, it's, it's one, it's not a problem, and to just create more conflict and stress for the students. So uh, very much opposed to it and uh, happy to answer any questions if we're able to do that. But that's all I have at this time.
0: So there we heard Matt talking about how the pressure is going to shift on students and how uh, confusion is going to be added to the system. I think a lot of the people commenting on this, though, admit they don't really know what's going to happen if this law were to take effect. The markets are unpredictable in various ways, and so it's going to be really interesting if it does take effect to see what really happens. By the way, Emily, I just want to make a disclosure that both ASMSU and a lot of the landlords, including Matt Hagen, contribute to Eli. Eli is a local nonprofit news organization. And the consequence of that is it's supported by the people who live and work and go to school and play here. And so we make sure that as we take donations in, we maintain editorial independence and we're clear with our donors that we do not report based on what they want us to report. But I just wanted to make that disclosure.
2: Yes. Thank you for doing that, Alice. Do you have any other takeaways from last night's meeting? And I would just jump in with my own, that something I had been unfamiliar about until Eli's reporting and the idea of how East Lansing is so regional. And I think sometimes the lines aren't always obvious that. Some of the apartments on the other side of Hagedorn are technically in Meridian, even though they might feel like you're still in East Lansing because you see MSU from the parking lot. Or- you know, and,
0: and Mayor Pro Tem Jesse Greg talked about this, that a lot of people don't even really know which city border they live in because your zip code is not the same as the city border. The school district borders are different than those. And so a lot of people don't even know which city they really live in until they're paying taxes to that city, which a lot of people don't do if they don't own property. Or if they don't owe income tax in a particular city, they don't they don't actually even know which city they're living in. So that's why she talked about the importance of regionalism and her feeling that this had to be done at the regional level.
2: Yes. Just down the block from me in Lansing, they're building a huge student complex. But it's near Frandor, which sometimes to me feels like a no man's land between Lansing and East Lansing. (laughs) Um, Well, soon
0: you'll have a fresh new sledding hill that you can sled down and decide if you're in Lansing or East Lansing, which is right on the border, by the way. But it's in Lansing, if anybody's curious.
2: Uh, Rainier Park is in Lansing. Great. Well, I think maybe now is the time to transition to our next topic, which is something that surprised us in the city attorney's comments during his report to council. So, Alice, do you want to fill us in on that?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think a bunch of us sort of were taken aback when the city attorney, who's relatively new, was hired at last October, Mike Homier of Foster Swift, said in his report that he wanted to let council know he had come to East Lansing because his son had a lacrosse game here, and they had stayed at the Marriott downtown, and he had really enjoyed what was going on downtown. And we all assumed he lived somewhere nearby, but he doesn't. He lives in Grand Rapids. The charter used to have a provision, the city charter used to have a provision that said the city attorney had to live in the borders of the city of East Lansing, but the state changed the rules about that and said we can't have those kinds of residency requirements. But I think a lot of us didn't realize that the man who's been operating as our city attorney doesn't live anywhere near here. He actually lives far enough away that he's staying in a hotel when he comes in. So I guess it's been easier to do the work given the pandemic because he uh, is phoning it in like we all are. But one of the things he talked about was the changes downtown and he praised the work of Adam Cummins, who's a um, staff member at the city who's been doing a lot to try to make downtown a lot more attractive, literally to bring um, tables and chairs and nice lighting and closure of Albert Avenue and these kinds of things to bring people downtown.
2: Yeah. There's been a lot of, Spaces for people to sit outside and enjoy takeaway food during the pandemic. I think in the colder months, there were some heaters outside as well. And some of our reporters, such as Sarah Swan and Brooklyn Pepo, have reported on this project. Um, So I think then one of the biggest stories from last night was the presentation made by the study committee on the formation of an independent police oversight commission. Um, the commission has a long enough backstory. So, back in February of 2020, a young man named Tito Gazito came forward talking about um, brutality he faced when interacting with ELPD. Um, it later came to light that the same officer, uh, Andrew Stevenson, had used a similar tactic that resulted in similar injuries against another man, Anthony Loggins Jr. Stevenson was later cleared of all charges, but it led to a push for police reform in the city of East Lansing. Some things that have changed are um, the disorderly conduct code was rewritten, but there was also the push to form this study group. So the group that's giving their presentation spent six to eight months doing the legwork and the research to find out what a permanent oversight commission, which has not yet been established, would do. Um, So their presentation last night was about what that commission might look like. Um, In May 2020, City Council approved the formation of the study group, but the city then did not convene the group until October of 2020, and they wrapped up their work. Um, Their final meeting, I believe, was May 24th, 2021. Um, So Alice, do you want to tell us a bit about the presentation from last night?
0: Yeah, this is not by any means the end of it. So next week at council on June 15th, the council is going to have a discussion-only meeting where they actually have a formal discussion of the report presented by the oversight commission, uh, sorry, by the study committee on the oversight commission. But the anticipation is that at that point, they will start um, looking at the recommended ordinance and resolution which would create the oversight commission, a permanent independent citizen police oversight commission for the city of East Lansing that would specifically handle issues around East Lansing's police department. Uh, And so at the presentation last night, there were a number of members of the study committee who formally presented the report to council. but they didn't actually go into a lot of depth on exactly what was in the report, but rather tried to give an overview, and I think it was a very interesting presentation. So we heard from Chuck Grigsby, who has been the chair of that committee, Chris Root, who's been the vice chair, Cedric Harrow, who did a lot of the data analysis work, and then also Eric Williams, who's a lawyer, Um, and we're going to clip in two of those reports. The first piece we're going to listen to from Council last night is from Chris Root, who's the vice chair. And she took time to explain some of the deep research that was done by this group, because the group really did a lot of research locally and nationally. And they ended up obtaining data we've never had before. One of the things I should say is that Chris Root has been a longtime reporter from Eli, for Eli from the founding. Um, we were founded in this version in 2014. And Chris, of course, stopped reporting for us when she became a member of that committee. But she was drawing on some of that research she'd already done for Eli and then was able to do far more research with the rest of the committee members because they were able to get access to data that we didn't know about before. So let's give a listen to what Chris Chris Root had to say in part
5: to the city council last night. The study committee received three presentations from the ELPD chief and deputy chief who met with us for all of our meetings. Those presentations were about arrests, use of force, and the complaint process. They occurred in October, November, and December. Then the study committee voted on a set of follow-up questions that we needed for our report, and we got some answers to those questions in January and February. We also found data about arrests that contain age, gender, and race information that is entered by each Michigan Police Department into the Michigan Incident Crime Reporting Database. Deputy Chief Gonzalez led us to this valuable public online source, and we used it extensively in Chapter 2. And there's a footnote uh, to indicate how people can go and, and look at that data themselves. There's also data there about the MSU Police Department, if you're interested. The biggest takeaway from our research has already been pretty widely reported, which is that Black people have been consistently overrepresented in interactions with ELPD. This includes 24% of officer-initiated stops, 36% of arrests, and approximately 50% of use of force. These are for different time periods. In each case, it was the most extensive current time period we could get information about. Also, Black people represent 40% of the offenses reported by 54B District Court. Black people are only 7% of the residents of East Lansing and less than 12% of residents in Ingham County. So, this was clearly an issue of concern. Table 16 in Chapter 3 gives additional evidence of the need to work on reducing these disparities. This chapter is the one about complaints. We found that a large proportion of the complaints against officers were made by Black people and other people of color. And that many of these complaints were about racial discrimination and racial bias. Also, there were two complaints about the very serious issue of excessive use of force. And these are complaints that the council is already very well aware of.
0: So at the end there, just to be clear, the reference she is making is to the Gassito case and the Loggins case, which you've already mentioned, Emily. (laughs) And now we can go to listen to the piece from Eric Williams, uh, who's a lawyer who's on the study committee, and he's talking about the constraints that the group is under in terms of trying to deal with the realities of what exists in East Lansing for the development of an oversight commission. So let's give a listen to what Eric Williams had to say to counsel.
1: I I wanted to say a couple of words at at the outset about uh, the constraints that we were working under and uh you know there's some things that we can do and some things we can't do and so we tried to operate within those uh within those constraints and uh i mean I, I would say that they they fall in three categories there's uh employment rights uh and the the structure of the uh city governance and then the the size and the budget of the city Uh, And those all put uh, constraints on, uh, on what we can do. Uh, The process of disciplinary uh, uh, action against uh, police officers is pretty much controlled by the collective bargaining agreement. And ultimately uh, uh, is a decision that's made by an arbitrator. Uh, The city manager and the police uh, chief uh, have management authority over the uh, uh, over police officers in the police department and unless we get a change to the city charter uh, this commission can't order police officers to uh, to do anything or uh, uh, manage the police department uh, it just doesn't have that doesn't have that power we can't hire police officers we can't uh, fire police officers we can't uh, hire the police chief uh, and then, the, you know, those cities that have uh, uh, oversight commissions tend to be larger than East Lansing and have larger budgets. Uh, the the you know, million-person cities uh, can hire a full-time uh, monitor or auditor, uh, you know, somebody that will pull down $150,000 a year uh, and have an office and a staff. Uh, and East Lansing just doesn't have the uh, the uh, capacity or the volume of business to to justify that. Uh, so we're trying to work within those within those constraints.
0: So what we hear coming out of all of that is basically that the study committee has been trying to develop an oversight commission uh, model that will work in the city of East Lansing and there, it's very complicated. There's issues of which budget lines go where, who's going to have what kind of power but what Williams was really referring to is the fact that the city charter lays out who has what power and basically the city manager has the power over the police department. He has the ability to hire and fire the police chief. He basically has employment power over the police department but in addition to that the union contracts have power and so one of the things that the study committee has been pushing for is if the union contracts get in the way of doing good work in terms of regulating policing then the union contracts need to be changed and i'm sure we're going to be hearing from the police unions about that
2: yes Um, what i found interesting too from Eric Williams' discussion was a lot of the cities that have oversight commissions tend to be significantly larger than East Lansing. Um, I know he referenced uh, Austin, Texas and Albany, New York and Albany. Although a small city is at least twice the size of East Lansing, so there's different budgets and different ways governments might function. So I know a significant job for the study group was looking at these other cities, but I actually think in the end, um, if everything gets passed and this oversight commission is established, it's possible the work of the study committee here will serve as an example to other small size cities.
0: I think that's absolutely right. There's no question the report serves as an example to other cities working on this in terms of what a committee can do. I mean, East Lansing benefits from the fact that it has so many academics participating in city government. And that means that you have people who are really good at data analysis. People are really good at research. And this group really benefited from that kind of deep academic roots in terms of being able to really bring that research and make sense of that research. You know, we had people also like Kathy Boyle, who's a labor attorney, um, people like Kelly Ellsworth Etchinson, who comes out of a background of being paying a lot of attention to civil rights issues, also from a business perspective, from an organizational perspective. Um, these, these folks brought a lot to the table. The, the group was a very impressive group. And I think council's trying to figure out how to continue to draw on that level of expertise, that level of community service as they bring this kind of work forward.
2: Yes, I know. One of the other presenters from last night was Cedric Caro, who does work in criminal sociology. If I'm not mistaken, correct. And did a lot of the data analysis. And one thing that he pointed out that was pretty powerful and perhaps put policing into context was: on the one hand, the police are often called to deal with people who are in crisis, or perhaps in one of the worst moments of their life but on the other hand the police are really the only people given the power to coerce citizens or residents to do something on American soil.
0: It was a very powerful statement. And Hero has spent, he said, over 300 hours in police cars doing ride-alongs, trying to understand the reality of policing. So this is a guy who really understands what police officers face on the job. So really, his his discussion also was incredibly powerful. We can recommend to people there is a video recording of the city council. Um, you can look it up quite easily and watch that presentation if you want to. And it, it really was an impressive presentation last night in terms of the Amount of sensitivity being brought to bear on the different stakeholders in this incredibly important issue great do you have any closing thoughts
2: on this topic alice
0: no i think we've covered it emily and we'll keep covering it for folks um so heather brothers is our lead reporter on this and heather will be covering this week's issue and also be covering next week's uh discussion only meeting of the city council on this issue
2: yes so um, we've covered the greatest hits from last night ne- or Tuesday City Council meeting, but I do want to point out some other stories that might be of interest to our readers. Particularly, if you go to eastlancinginfo.news, you'll see a story about Aram Cambodian who was for a long time a English teacher at McDonald's Middle School and was actually recognized with an award um, from other educators in the state of Michigan for being a quality teacher. He recently released his own collection of poetry drawing on poems that he had written over several decades. And the article is written by Ann Nichols. Um, Her son was a student of Mr. Kabodian's, and it was a really nice insight. Kabodian in the collection reflects on his own life and particularly his armenian american roots and what that means to him thank you for joining us we appreciate you listening
1: east lansing insider is brought to you by eli on impact 89 fm we are on the web at eastlansinginfo.news and impact89fm.org thanks for listening